Hey, Real Talk podcast listeners, you know Justin Trudeau's government is pushing heat pumps. Right around the time the liberals paused the carbon price for home heating oil, they committed to working with provinces to subsidize those heat pumps for lower-income Canadians. Uh, Premiers Scott Moe and Danielle Smith are definitely the loudest critics of the plan, saying the technology just isn't a serious counter to the cold of a Canadian winter. So who's right and who's wrong? Find out in this episode of Real Talk. This is a Relay Project. Real Talk starts right now. Here's Ryan Jesperson. I want to welcome you to this episode of Real Talk. Getting closer and closer to the month of December. And while at this point, the temperature may be mild, the climate quite comfortable, pretty soon we're about to get walloped. It's going to be minus 30 soon. There's going to be two feet of snow, and we're going to start thinking about how we're heating our homes. We're going to start paying closer attention to what our energy bills look like. Some of us are going to start using way more natural gas. Others of us, you know, we'll, we'll start using other methods. You know, I've got one pal, Johnny. He was stacking wood a couple of weeks ago. His name's hmm. Kevin. He lives just down the road from us, and he's got a heritage home, he and his family, and they still heat the lion's share of their home with a wood-burning stove, kind of old school, right Mm -hmm. in the middle of the city. People are looking for different ways to stay warm in the summers, to stay cool without breaking the bank. The conversation nationally has become more prominent, hasn't it? What we're spending on utilities. Today, we're dedicating that episode uh, to a conversation in particular around where the federal government's been going with a few different initiatives You remember this initiative that, for the most part, was seen as the Prime Minister extending an olive branch or doing a favor to Atlantic Canada, right? Atlantic Canada was getting a break on this home heating oil. People were talking about all of the different ways that Canadians heat their homes. And in Alberta, of course, in our home province, that's natural gas. And there was no carbon tax break on natural gas, not for everyday residents, not for city dwellers or folks in rural communities, let alone people, let's say, working in uh, agricultural applications, right? You've seen the lobby. You've seen the call for a break on the carbon tax for farmers who are drying grain, as an example, We wanted to talk about it. We wanted to find out what was a good fit. We wanted to see if heat pumps would be an appropriate application for heating and cooling on the prairies. And in just a quick second, you're going to meet a guy, maybe the guy, to have a conversation about heat pumps with. But don't worry. And I know Patrick will laugh at this. It's not going to suck. This isn't going to be a boring episode just talking about heat pumps. This isn't going to be a a trip down to your local home hardware or Home Depot to learn a little bit more about heat pumps. There will be that, but you're about to meet a guy that's passionate about energy, passionate about climate initiatives, and he's a realist. He's going to talk about what he thinks is working and what he thinks is not. That coming up in just a quick second. But first, you've probably seen it in the news. You know, fraud is on the rise. Credential fraud in particular. Sometimes it's nurses. It can be oil patch workers, personal support workers. There's been no shortage of news headlines where a fake credential is putting people's safety at risk. Luckily, there's an innovative tech 
this is going to make credential fraud a thing of the past. It's called digital verifiable credentials. Secure, cloud-based credentials. They go way beyond a traditional certificate, way beyond a digital badge or a PDF. They're impossible to forge, falsify, or alter. Verifiable credentials are tamper-proof and independently verifiable because they use open web standards, trusted real-time digital credentials that live in a digital wallet. They can be viewed, managed, and shared from anywhere. And with We Know Training, they can plug seamlessly into your training courses. If this is resonating with you, if this is right up your alley, and you want to learn more about using verifiable credentials in your training or credentialing program, we encourage you to visit verifiablecredentials.ca. Patrick McMahon is the uh, general manager for Energi on the Prairies. And in the course of his career, over a number of years, he sat around dining room tables with thousands and thousands of homeowners from the West Coast all the way out to the Maritimes talking about safe, comfortable, valuable, and energy-efficient prized possessions. He's designed and managed residential retrofit rebate programs for municipalities like the city of Edmonton and Energy efficiency alberta and we're grateful that he's agreed to join us this morning patrick welcome to real talk it's nice to see you thanks for having me ryan and happy belated birthday on the three-year anniversary um i really uh have recently discovered the podcast and it's my go-to anytime i'm traveling between edmonton and calgary which is pretty frequently and i can catch up especially on those um podcasts about energy and the environment and climate and where we're uh we're moving to in this province in, in western canada and i i applaud the work that you're doing and encourage you to keep it up and congratulations on the milestone wow he opens with a bouquet of flowers we sure appreciate that <laughs> thanks a lot my man uh it's uh know your is, audience rule number one yeah, yeah know your audience that's right um <laughs> well hey listen let, let me ask you and and uh you come highly recommended patrick we've had a, a couple of different people uh in the energy industry in in positions of executive leadership that have said you need to get this guy on the show and so i'm looking forward to this conversation i want to encourage you like i said privately to to speak freely to 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 sure. take us you know, down uh, into story time, take us down the avenues where you know they're g- going to resonate with people. You've got an engaged audience here um, and an informed audience. But, but first, let me ask you to audit our show. Uh, well, you've been on the QE2 and you've been listening to the podcast. We've been talking a ton about energy. How focused have our conversations been? How well have we done focusing on the issues that you think clearly matter here? And maybe if you don't mind, where have we been missing the mark? What have we not been talking about? Yeah, I definitely live in the residential space. So I appreciated your broke episode last week. Uh, Yasmin Abraham is someone I've worked with uh, on a couple of projects across the country before. Uh, have great things to say about the work they're doing in those underserved communities. Um, I actually am listening more to learn. I'm, I'm uh, super interested in the conversations you're having uh, relating to the uh, utility scale renewable moratorium. Um, this conversation around the abandoned wells, um, those kinds of things. Um, those are really interesting to me. I've moved to Alberta in 2016, so um, really catching up on these current affairs uh, in this part of the country um, is really interesting to me. And I, I think you've done a really great job with the diverse perspectives, which I think uh, you value and your listeners value. Um, but I, I'm really interested to learn more about uh, this landscape in the West, and I think you're doing a great job of of real talk, speaking to it in real talk terms. Um, and then, I, yeah, I think as a conversation moves into the home and what individual homeowners can do, and I like to say that rational people think from the margin. So how um, can this 
kind of macro pressures impact the micro decision inside the home at the dinner table. Um, that's kind of where I like to work. Um, what's going to make homeowners make the more energy efficient purchase decision and what tools are available to contractors in the space to help them find more success uh, by leaning into those opportunities. Um, so yeah, I think you've done a great job and I've been learning more than I could possibly provide critiques on. Um, and I'm excited to have this conversation about uh, about energy in the home. I hope I didn't come across like I was hunting or fishing for compliments. That wasn't the idea. Uh, <laughs> but, you know, the, I mean, I, I think, you know, you've you've obviously for a long time, for years, uh, been working in the energy space and in particular uh, helping people pursue energy efficiency. And for some folks, uh, they're motivated by, uh, you know, this, this sort of idea that they want to be positive contributors to the planet, right? They want to make decisions. They want to they lessen their environmental footprint. They want to go green, so to speak. And for other people, um, they just want to save money. And uh, who can blame folks for that? I think probably most people might land somewhere in the middle. They'd love for their environmental footprint to be lessened, and they would also love to keep more money in their pocket. Would you agree that there's probably never been, or at least not in the last, uh, I don't know, at least 20 years, as much of a focus on energy efficiency as there is right now just simply because of the cost of utilities and a lot of the political energy that's being expended, uh, including, you know, this week, the headlines, you know, Alberta ready to go back to war with Ottawa over greening Alberta's electricity grid. The premier of Alberta talking about potential brownouts and blackouts, people freezing in the dark. If if Alberta has to, you know, rely on a net zero grid by 2035, says it's simply not doable. I mean, there's never been or at least not in recent memory as much focus on energy as there is right now. Yeah, it's certainly become, uh, you know, my perception on it is that the the conversation around energy has always been framed in opportunity, uh, especially in this part of the world. And it seems to me as though the conversation and the headlines that are grabbing attention are the politicalization of energy. And um, I, I just, I'm not 100% sure where that resonates with homeowners necessarily, like their decisions are related to paying the mortgage, buying the groceries, paying the bills. Um, and I don't, I don't know if it's a distraction. I'm sure it resonates with the number of uh, constituents for sure. Um, but yeah, like I, I think the way you started that question really is the, the buying motivation by homeowners. And I think the city of Edmonton did a, a poll of residents a couple years ago now about how much action uh, Edmontonians felt they should be, the city should be taking on the climate portfolio. And the overwhelming number, the majority of uh, Edmontonians said that they want the city to be taking more significant action. Um, I think the question that wasn't asked in that survey was, would you be prepared to pay an extra one, two, three, four, five percent of property tax in order to achieve those outcomes? And I just wonder, there seems to be a high interest in doing the right thing from a climate perspective. I think inherently we have we hate waste. So when you can organize around getting better outcomes for less inputs, um, that's something that resonates with, I think, all people of any political stripe. Um, but when you have to pay more just to waste less, I think that's often a difficult conversation to work on a mass market level. And for the climate crisis that uh, you know we're dealing with here, um, it does take massive action, I think. Um, so there are people, the early adopters and the the keeners and those with the disposable income to make the investments in the climate, the proactively climate conscious choice um, that will do that. But 
the work that I really try to do is try to find the ways for homeowners and business owners um, to kind of meet in the middle uh, and really understand the economic opportunities of making the more energy efficient choices uh, at the margin. So I'm, you know, my furnace is making a tick, tick, funny noise, not a ha ha funny noise. I got to call somebody. Um, What do I do? Like it's, I often say that the target audience here is capitally constrained Canadians. So um, it, we're not dealing Who with it, you know, all the bells and whistles, yeah. right? You do these um, basically enter guide evaluations on homes, right? So, so if That's I understand right. correctly, uh, you're the guy that I call if my heating bill or, or for that matter, my my electricity bill in the summer when I'm trying to keep my place cool is out of control. You're the guy that I call when I get that utility bill that that sort of knocks my socks off in a bad way. That's way more than I expected. Uh, and, and I realize that I have like old windows and poor insulation and an inefficient furnace. And then you come in and, and basically evaluate the whole setup and say, here's where you can improve. Here's what it's going to take. Uh, and here's what the, the investment or the ROI could look like. Right. That's basically what you do. Yeah, the last part there really depends on contractor selection. Um, so the ROI is a is something that we can't always do. But yeah, I, and I'll, uh, and to be perfectly frank, um, the demand for our service has gone out through the roof related to the federal government's Greener Homes Initiative. Um, and that's a dance that you have to do to take advantage of grants for insulation, windows, heat pumps, and on-site generation. Um, so in many cases, homeowners because they're not leading necessarily with a climate decision or that the the November electricity bill is the straw that breaks the camel's back. They're saying, I've got moisture on my windows and the frames are degrading. Maybe it's time in this house to do a, a window retrofit. So they call and get some window quotes and the window contractor mentions that there's this you know grant that if you choose more energy efficient product, um, you can take advantage of this opportunity. Um, and so for most of the customers that we see, to be frank, um, they've already got a pretty good idea about what they want to do to the home and uh, whether that's my heating systems failed and I need a new one and this is an opportunity for me to get a more flexible and valuable system for less money or it's time for uh, a, a window renewal in the house. Um, most of our customers are coming to us with an idea about what they want to do and they need a good dance partner to get through uh, the available grant programs. I, I, I'm going to be honest, I think well, whatever. I certainly don't speak for for Canadians, but I got the impression, and my personal experience is that I had never even heard of heat pumps uh, until a short time ago. Till basically politicians started talking about them, and and people were getting all pissed off about a break on the carbon tax for certain people and not others uh, that was announced just a couple of weeks ago, right? So why don't we start at the basics, and then I'm curious for you to to cut through the noise, and I want to know like who's right? Are the are the climate activists right? that are kind of acting like it's the silver bullet or could be a big solution? Or is Saskatchewan Premier Scott Moe right, who basically says they're bullshit? Like, I'd, I'd, be, I'd be curious to know where you land on that. But first, just, like, what is a heat pump? I understand they sure. can be used for air conditioning, too. Like, like, what are they? So a heat pump is a device that moves heat from an area of relative cool to relative warmth. So heat pumps that you're familiar with are your refrigerator. That moves heat from inside the refrigerator box to that funky little radiator on the back. It's cool inside the heat, in the refrigerator. It takes heat and it moves it into the house, which is warmer. Um, an air conditioner is also a, a form of heat pump. It's taking heat from inside the house and it's moving outside the house. So on a hot summer day, the air conditioner will move heat from where it's 21 degrees to maybe where it's 30 degrees. 
Um, so it's the heat pump is working through the magical uh, mystery of um, compression and evaporation cycles. So uh, refrigerant is compressed, it releases heat outside in an air conditioner application. That refrigerant comes inside, it is evaporated by the indoor air, it absorbs the heat inside the house, and then the refrigerant goes back outside, it's compressed, and the heat is released. Just in thermodynamics, you can't add cool, all you can do is remove heat. So that's kind of how refrigerators and air conditioners work in a one-way moving of heat scenario. A heat pump is exactly the same in the summer as an air conditioner. It's moving heat from inside the house to outside the house, and they're great as air conditioning appliances. And in the bridge seasons, or if you have on-site generation through the winter on the prairies, it can move heat from outside by evaporating uh, like a refrigerant outside and moving it inside and compressing. So a heat pump is an air conditioner that can work both ways. It can move heat from inside the house to outside in the summer, and it can move heat from outside the house to inside the house in the bridge seasons or the winter. Okay, so you've got Seventh Pilot who's watching us now live in the chat and just says heat pumps don't work in colder temperatures. Sure. And and Saskatchewan's premier would agree. He says they're just simply not viable in Saskatchewan based on how low the temps go in the winter. Is it correct? I don't think it's really correct. Like, they will technically work. I think the question that needs to be framed in this part of the world where we're so heavily dependent on natural gas for space heating is, are they cost effective? Um, the energy pundits will tell you, and I think you had it on uh, last week too, like how to save the world. That uh, that call, you know, that uh, caller was uh, or guest was celebrating. Yeah, Seth Klein. He's Perfect. Yeah, great, great episode. Another great episode. Thanks, pal. Um, but um, so they will work. You know, the uh, Efficiency Canada has a report out that some cold climate heat pumps will produce 100% of the rated heating capacity at minus 30. That's great. Is it size to meet the heating load of the house? It might not be. And when you consider the cost to heat with a heat pump at that low temperature, your cost of heating may five or seven X. Um, heat pumps are measured, their efficiency is measured by coefficients of performance. And that is how many heat units do you get out per unit of electrical energy in? So if you can get one heat unit in or one electrical electrical unit of a unit of electrical energy in and five units of heat energy out you might say that's 500 percent efficient but if your cost on natural gas is one-fifth the cost of electricity you're breaking even right. on heating costs so do they work yes they work uh are they cost effective that depends so what do you like? Do you think that this is a right? I'm always curious to know because you know when, when governments roll out initiatives, there you know there's always going to be some people that say the government's really astute on this. This is a well thought out plan, and other people are going to go, oh my gosh, this is politicians throwing you know in some cases hundreds of millions of dollars at something that you know based on advice they got from their friends, uh, and and this just isn't simply going to work at all. When when you look at it, the grand scheme of things, do you think that this is the right direction for for Canadians? on the prairies or Canadians anywhere that could experience uh, significant fluctuations in temperatures 
to pursue. Like we're trying to empower people. Like I saw somebody who was chirping us in the chat today. Everybody does it in love, you know, but somebody says, I'm sorry, did I just drop into an infomercial here? Uh, no, we're trying to better understand what's going on right now. I want to better, I want to understand like, is Scott Moe right or wrong? I want to understand like, is the federal government moving down uh, a viable avenue here or is this completely ridiculous, right? And so we want to inform ourselves here. Do you think that this is part of a bigger plan that's moving in the right direction based on what you know about all available technology? Yeah, so the best technology probably from a climate consideration perspective and an overall cost of ownership is a ground source heat pump. It's very expensive to install, especially in the dense residential areas. So what we are talking about is going to be these air source heat pumps, which are a flexible um, piece of heating equipment that most homeowners can add when they're considering an air conditioner. I want to be a, a bit clear because I don't think I've, I've indicated this. This isn't one or the other. Um, the pictures uh, that Johnny brought up um, really showed the heat pump that looks almost indistinguishable from an air conditioner and it's installed over a furnace. So what homeowners get with heat pumps is heating fuel flexibility. And the, so there's a furnace uh, for those you know that are watching, furnace down below, the uh, indoor unit, which is the evaporator, the compressor, depending on the cycle, is above that with that kind of star logo on it. Um, so the heat, the furnace is really when the heat pump's using being used for heat. It's just moving air around, and the um, the indoor unit there, and then the outdoor unit outside, almost indistinguishable. There we go, outdoor unit, almost indistinguishable from an air conditioner. It's not one or the other. It's heating fuel flexibility through the bridge season, and Homeowners are purchasing HVAC equipment not with what am I going to be doing in the next 18 months. They would expect their heating and cooling investment to last for the next 20 years. What happens in the next 20 years? Does the grid get cleaner? Premier Smith seems to be comfortable with a 2050 date for that um, to a net zero grid. Um, she seems to be a champion there with Mr. Crick. Um, do you or the next owner add a solar array? And does your cost of electricity go to zero uh, You know, on a day like today? Today's a great day if you had a solar array to be heating with a heat pump instead of uh, natural gas. Um, do natural gas prices go up and electricity prices stay relatively low? Um, all of these sorts of things uh, are worth considering as you look down the life of the investment. We can also think about in a regulatory environment, carrots and sticks. So what I think we see today, and we saw this uh, through the Stephen Harper Eco Energy Program in 2008 to 2012, was there was a significant incentive to install high-efficiency furnaces. Now you have to install a high-efficiency furnace. It might not be unreasonable to think that this is the carrot to transform the market, to build sales capacity, installation capacity, and service capacity at HVAC companies uh, across Canada to know how to talk about install and service heat pumps before it might not be acceptable to install air conditioners at some point in the future because you'd need to install a heat pump. It'll do everything air conditioning does and it provides heating fuel flexibility through the bridge season and the opportunity to take advantage of it changes over time depending on a whole bunch of different factors. Okay. I'm just uh, gonna add one more point on this Ryan real quick. Yeah. When you add an air conditioner in 2023 or 2024, you lock yourself into a heating and cooling profile that says when it gets cool in October, I heat with gas no matter what until May. Um, when you install a heat pump, you say, I have flexibility through October and November and on a day like today and in April and May, depending on the cost of fuel, um, the grid intensity for carbon, if the carbon, if the grid cleans around me, if I add a solar array, I have flexibility 
And if you can buy that flexibility for less money than an air conditioner, considering current grants the carrots, um, that's a prudent thing for people to do. It's good for business. It's good for homeowners. And it builds flexibility into the heating fleet in Alberta and Saskatchewan. And that's where I think uh, Premier Mo and Premier Smith are incorrect. They, I would agree that they do not make sense for space heating and space heating cooling, space, space heating in Alberta and Saskatchewan in 2023, unless you had an on-site generation. I don't know that that's true in 2028. I think it's less true in 2033. It's probably not true in 2040. And when you buy that asset today, you should expect that it's working at, on those timelines. Huh. I was uh, at this uh, Edify Top 40 Under 40 event last night, and, and, and obviously a lot of politicians there um, had a chance to catch up with Premier. Uh, significant uh, you know, amount of her cabinet was there, including the Minister of Affordabil- Affordability and Utilities, uh, Nate Newdorf. And uh, we had a, a kind of a candid conversation, of course, because he is kind of the face of the moratorium on new wind and solar projects in the province. And, and, uh, and, and, and he was quite candid about it. And I appreciated the conversation. He's going to come on the show and talk to us about it. He says that, you know, the province they're expecting should be able to present findings publicly on that. I know it's not exactly what we're talking about, Patrick, but he, he's saying like January, February, they should be able to put stuff in, in front of Albertans. And I know that a lot of people are keen uh, to see where, the provincial government where the government of Alberta is going to go on renewables expansion because Alberta had been leading the charge on that, like almost 80% of, uh, of installs and in particular industrial development uh, was happening in Alberta, which I think was an underreported story. That was news to me when I heard the stat. And I think that that's something that, that the Prairie province can be really proud of. You served in a way uh, you were a program manager, right? With energy efficiency, Alberta under the Notley NDP and the Kenny UCP government, correct? Um, is that yep. right? Yep. Yeah. So that's right. If, if if you're not in that role anymore, so you can speak freely, right? You can say whatever you want. Did you? Did you? You're like you look a little nervous, like wondering what I'm going to ask you. But did you get a sense, or what did you pick up from both governments in the context of their sincerity to pursue efficiency? and their forward-thinking nature on matters of energy like we're talking about here. What vibe did you pick up from those two different governments? Uh, yeah, so I was really, I thought it was a great opportunity in my career development to, to do that. And and I look back on that period as, as a, a really great time. We did some really interesting things led by Energy Efficiency Alberta and the Nali government. I was working on a, as a delivery partner um, so there's so, only so much credit I can take here, but I thought there was a genuine interest in that. I remember when energy efficiency was being spun up, energy efficiency in Alberta was being spun up. It was, it was that Alberta was the first, was the last jurisdiction in North America to not have an energy efficiency agency. Um, the program design was almost like a leapfrog design. You know how they talk about, you know, parts of Thailand never installs landlines because they leapfrog to cell phones. Um, so I thought we took a pretty Alberta-centric approach, like the programs that I managed were contractor-led and performance-based. So we wanted to talk to the contractors doing the work because they're the experts, and we could ask more technical questions of the work they were doing um, when we were processing submissions there. Um, and then the contractor would make the submission on behalf of the homeowners, less work for the homeowner to do. They received the check in the mail. Um, so I thought I thought the programs were were, I thought, they were 
great. They were good value for money, especially in the context of the war room um, that, that came out after that, considering the budget of incentives that were spent to support local contractors and local businesses and Alberta homeowners making their houses more uh, valuable, comfortable, and efficient. Um, it was it was really great work. Um, the experience under the Kennedy government really was to close the program. Um, uh, my perception through that closure was really that the UCP government um, values, and you can see it in programs with emissions reduction in Alberta, um, and then uh, those sorts of things that the focus is really on uh, helping businesses in the province be more efficient um, and provide uh, tax breaks and incentives there, which I can I can make sense. Like you can make a much bigger impact on energy savings in a warehouse than you can in a home. So it's it's not without merit for sure um, to think about what's your bang for the buck on impact. Um, but I did think that um, the Energy Efficiency Alberta programs, they were very popular, maybe too popular um, in some cases, but it, it really was a, a great time. And we, I think my team moved through 70,000 applications uh, over four years. Huh. And I think the budget was under $30 million in incentives for that. Well, um, and so you, was, you obviously saw the headlines like a couple of weeks ago, right? With Ottawa's green grants program for homeowners that, uh, homeowners that are saying that's running out of money faster than expected. This was like a, I think about a, a 2.6 billion, we'll call it a two and a half billion dollar program that was supposed to last until 2027. Uh, Minister, federal minister Wilkinson saying that it, it looks like they haven't announced it yet, but it looks like it's going to be, shut down early just be i guess it's kind of a good news bad news story right it, it's a good news story in the sense that they ran out of money because so many canadians were taking advantage of that five thousand dollar grant uh to basically retrofit their homes right the bad news is if you haven't done that yet you're, you're probably going to be left out uh just based on that program's budget um how did you perceive that the, the green grants program running out of money to me that's the type of program that the federal government's got to find more funding for. If they see that the uptake on it has been so positive, how do you not dump more funding into that? Because you're already seeing that Canadians will take action if you dangle that carrot, right? Yeah, we're still hiring. Um on the same call where that was shared with energy advisors and service organizations, companies like Energi, um, the question and answers following that presentation obviously exploded. And Enercan shared some information with that audience that said, don't do anything rash, don't change your business plans, there'll be an announcement before Christmas. Um, we can't do the math to see that it's oversubscribed. In September of 2023, the program announced that uh, $370 million had been paid to 94,000 applicants, and there's a total of 381,000 applicants in the system as of August 31st, 2023. So the budget was $2.6 billion, $375 million had been spent. They're allocating funds for those already in the program, which is prudent, and applauding them for that. But it was expected to serve 700,000 homeowners, and only 381 have registered. Um, so we... We really can't do the financial math to say that it's fully subscribed. Um, there's lots of opportunities to improve greener homes. And as a program manager past, I know it's really difficult when you have concurrent programs, like which rule set are you under? Which rule set are you under? So we are optimistic on the medium and long term that this opportunity will remain available to homeowners. Um, it's true that 
we know the shot today. There will be some fear of missing out through the winter. We're already seeing it in our numbers. Um, and a lot of uh, window contractors and HVAC contractors and solar contractors are leaning in because there's a genuine sense of urgency. You're up against a deadline. Uh, but even in the CBC article that broke the Greener Homes grant kind of being fully subscribed, Minister Wilkinson is in that article talking about finding new money and waiting for uh, budget cycles to lapse before they can make that request. So um, you don't often get a telegraph on a government announcement before Christmas that ends up being bad. Um, so we have a fair degree of confidence that this is not the final chapter of Greener Homes. Um, it seems difficult to imagine that the Trudeau government wants to go into an election in 20 months, um, having pulled out the rug on, I don't know how many, 1,000, 1,500 Alberta solar workers that are doing uh, rooftop work, um, the HVAC distributors that have built, bought millions of dollars of heat pumps instead of air conditioners for this cooling season. Um, it just, that's kind of, the financial math is difficult to work and the political math is almost impossible to work yeah tracy in our chat says as a consumer of energy i would love to have my government provide information on energy efficient uh zero carbon or let's say net zero options for home heating and cooling uh i think that the average person is looking for this you know the, the more talk we see and we we have these conversations on the show all the time yeah in different contexts right whether we're talking about like wildfires and floods drought issues affecting people in agriculture uh you know i mean just like the obvious stuff that you can't ignore um and then also people's bottom lines and like you said the broke episode uh you know people talking about basically trying to make ends meet this is one of the things that that a lot of people are paying attention to maybe for the first time uh in, in i mean you know i am one of these people like when you're talking about all oh, the homeowner has options and you can switch here if this is going on here and save and move over to here and you have flex and i'm just like that's not how i operate man i'm a set it and forget it guy i want something to be easy but i also want to feel like i'm set up in a good situation right like i have i have a good utilities provider i'm on a good plan um sort of like a mortgage same sort of idea right it's something that you don't pay attention to until it's up for renewal and then you try to set yourself up well for the next five years but i've never been one of those people that's constantly monitoring where things are at and and i believe that with with the amount of of of, of action and brain activity that people have going on how distracted we are how much uh how many things we have pulling on us for our attention and our time you know folks don't really necessarily have a lot of time uh to 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 sit and investigate and dig into you know all of the available information and and, and make the right call which is why i think conversations like this are really valuable so let me ask you this in closing what's something that every single audience member uh, whether they're watching this listening to this whether they hear it today or six months from now what's something that every single audience member can do to improve their bottom line to lessen their footprint what's sort of a takeaway piece of advice that you'd leave us with Patrick I wish I was here delivering silver bullets um, I'm going to try to tackle this in just a kind of a few items here for that for the general guidance I think it's important that homeowners realize that the entire house is working against the heating system so um, you heard on the Broke episode how important the shell is. So houses lose energy through conduction. That's walls, ceilings, and windows. They lose energy through air loss. If the house is drafty and the wind blows, you suck all the condition out. And that determines how hard the furnace has to work to burn whatever fuel it's burning, um, depending on the efficiency of the equipment. So it is really important to think about the shell first and to reduce that heating load and then evaluate the most efficient heating options. To your point about it being convenient, I think all of those moving parts don't need to be things that you need to consider. 
I would expect that as we see more heat pumps and we as we see more on-site generation and as we see more electric vehicles and potentially batteries in houses, the controls opportunity is a really big opportunity, um, but it's fragmented. And as those markets get larger, you might just say, hey, I want to optimize for carbon efficiency. And then your house just runs the heat pump when it's appropriate, charges the battery when it's appropriate, pulls from the car, charges from the car. That's not unreasonable. Or I want to optimize for cost effectiveness. And it just runs a controls regime on that. That's not something that I think you're going to have to stick handle. In the context of the heat pump, I'd like homeowners just to think about this, that uh, you can buy a heat pump that is a heat pump is a more efficient cooling appliance than an air conditioner. It's a smaller footprint than an air conditioner. It's a quieter uh, system than an air conditioner. It does everything that an air conditioner does, but it also provides heating fuel flexibility through the bridge season. So October, November, December, uh, March, April, May. Uh, and I think you can reliably expect to use it for heating in this climate over the life of the asset. Today in Alberta and Saskatchewan, that is a less expensive investment than an air conditioner that is less efficient, louder, and larger. Um, so if you can take advantage of the Greener Homes Initiative, you can get a more valuable, more flexible heating system for less expense than a conventional air conditioner. And that's the carrot uh, before we presumably see, I don't know if it's a decade now or when it would be, that um, we won't be able to install air conditioners anymore. We'll have to install heat pumps um, because the capacity will be there from a sales, installation, and service perspective and they are more flexible, especially as grids throughout the country continue to green. Patrick McMahon, the GM for Energy on the Prairies, and obviously a great friend of Real Talk. Uh, I didn't understand the extent. I was unaware of the extent to which you've been checking out the show, but I love it when guests come on and name drop. You're like, I think back on that episode, a few, you know, I'm like, boy, I appreciate that, my man. Thanks for listening I to Real Talk. I promise you I'm on Highway 2 honking the horn. Hey, I love time, to yeah. hear it. I love to hear it. We, we hear from people all the time, and that's a lot of times streaming the audio on the Mixler audio app presented by California Closets as well, which is great. We love to have uh, Many ways, maybe there's a maybe there's a, a segue here for us to talk about energy delivery. Uh, many different ways that people can get their real talk. We love it, Patrick. Thanks for sorting this out for us. I hope I helped. Yeah, you got it. You can check out more about what Patrick does by checking out Energy. Dot com. We all learned a little something today. That was great. Learning is fun. Learning is fun. I love what's going on in the live chat as well. I think it was, who was it? Uh, this Alberta girl that said this. She said, uh, like all these programs, uh, this uh, this uh, federal incentive too, it's out of pocket, she says, and she's right, says, uh, and these expenditures are not going to happen for a lot of people given the affordability crisis. So you've got you've to you know, uh, you know, make these uh, home retrofit projects happen on your own. You've got to spend the money, and then you apply to be reimbursed, and the uh, feds will reimburse you the 5K. So I don't know for a lot of people if that's doable or not. No. You know, to just go ahead and, and, and sink 5000 or 15000 or 50000 into, uh, you know, different ways. I mean, for, for a lot of people, I mean, I had no idea, for example, what new windows cost. Uh, we, we have a condo, <laughs> and the whole condo building was doing new windows, and it was like in the hundreds of thousands. Of, I had no yeah. idea. My understanding is, mm-hmm. I mean, obviously, depending on your house and what it looks like and how many windows, but like getting new windows in your house can be like forty grand. Mm-hmm. You know, I had no idea. But for a lot of people, you know, you've got a house that's still got the original glass in there. It's been there for decades. You're like, you're just 
the the hot the heat is just bleeding out of the home <laughs> in the winter, right? It's so inefficient. You can almost see it happening. So. Yeah, Santa baby, bring me a heat pump. Bring you from- a heat pump. Maybe there will be heat pumps but- for Christmas happening. I don't know. Yeah, we have that in our we, like we live in a townhouse, and gr- it's great for keeping heat in, except in the bottom where the front door is, basically to the backyard. Yeah, we're, we're thinking of putting in like maybe some sealant around the door. Yeah, weather stripping or something like that. Because it's so cold down there, and exactly like he says when the wind gets gusty it just sucks the heat right out of the room so yeah um we want to get to that uh more on this in just a a quick second and and um i saw somebody made a comment about privatized power grids and i want to talk about that uh in just a second as well andrew coin uh national writer you've heard him here on real talk before he has a piece in the globe and mail uh, where he touches on that in particular the alberta government's plan daniel smith's plan to set up a crown corporation um, to, to, to basically be a, an, an energy provider, uh, basically a big natural gas business of last resort. Uh, Andrew Coyne is not sold on the idea. We'll get to that in just a quick second. But it is Wednesday, and you know what that means. It means we need to uh, take a little bit of time away from the news cycle. Every Wednesday, we head out to the mountains, courtesy of our friends at Tourism Jasper. And they're very excited to let you know about Sundog Tour Company. Everybody knows Sundog. Well, they're launching a brand new new evening experience in one of Jasper's most iconic and otherworldly winter landmarks. Have you ever done the ice walk in Moline Canyon? I haven't. Dude. Have you? This is one of the most incredible experiences you could ever have. And a new opportunity now to embark on a 20-minute hike from the interpretive kiosk at Fifth Bridge into Moline Canyon to discover its icy floor during an abbreviated ice walk. So you can delve into the secrets of Jasper's dark skies, the captivating stories of early explorers, and the rich indigenous history of the area. Learn about the nocturnal animals of the park as you hike from the canyon's depths to Moline's Sixth Bridge, where a warm fire and hot chocolate await. How good does that sound? Now, of course, this excursion is weather dependent, so they want you to confirm your booking 24 hours prior to departure. And then beforehand, maybe, I mean, this is an evening event, an overnight event, maybe hit Marmot Basin during the day, right? Rip a few turns at Marmot, and then head out to Moline Canyon, take part in that ice walk, Uh, absolutely mind-blowing. Uh, and if you're lucky enough, we were out there as a family. You'll see ice climbers yeah. playing around out there. And Those guys is, are nuts. Oh, it is. <laughs> it like, is not for me. Yeah, uh, I, my palms were sweating just watching them do it. But so so cool to see them climbing up these frozen waterfalls. Basically, I mean, just absolutely amazing. Uh, by the way, a hot deal tip for real talkers: lift tickets at Marmot Basin are currently sixty percent off you can check out skimarmit.com for more on that and if you'd like to get information about this new tour in Moline canyon and sundogs many other tours and transportation options make sure you check out sundogtours.com my jasper memories is proudly presented every wednesday here on real talk by our friends at tourism jasper I saw somebody in the live chat that basically said that, you know, the, the provincial, I, I apologize, I can't find it right now just because our chat is going off today. I love it. And a lot of new names in the chat, too, which is perfect. I see people checking out the show from Ontario. Uh, a lot of you, of course, are, are meeting each other on here every single morning and uh, building this community. And, and we just love it. Real talk's happening all the time. As somebody basically said, the provincial government is, is not serious. I'm paraphrasing. Not serious about helping people address the affordability crisis. They don't care about the individual homeowner. 
owners. They're basically just concerned about protecting the private operators and the big money that's invested into the electricity grid. Well, kind of an interesting development on Monday of this week, right, when Alberta's premier kind of laid out her plan uh, to address uh, or basically clap back at Ottawa's uh, call for Alberta to green its grid, to get its grid to net zero by 2035. Daniel Smith says it's not possible. We're not going to do it. We're going to invoke the Sovereignty Act uh, and, and basically go at it alone. We're going to work at our own pace. We're going to get there. Alberta's made a commitment to get to net zero on its grid by 2050, but forget about 2035. She went further saying that the Alberta government is going to invest what will obviously be billions of dollars into a crown corporation uh, where they see a lack of private investment, a lack of international interest in investing into natural gas infrastructure in the province. Daniel Smith says, well, then Alberta's just going to do it. And people are going, a libertarian premier, a free market evangelist establishing a crown corporation Right? Can you imagine if, like we said yesterday on the show, if Rachel Notley would have done that? People would have been screaming about socialism. People would have been screaming about national, sort of nationalizing these types of projects. But it's Danielle Smith that's doing it. And Andrew Coyne takes it on in this week's column in the Globe and Mail. The headline, Alberta's Sovereignty Act looks increasingly like a sham writes Andrew Coyne, and he talks, of course, about the court battle that will lie in wait, uh, about how he doesn't believe that Alberta's Sovereignty Act is going to stand up in court, and he basically thinks that uh, it's, you know, he says uh, no government may decide for itself which laws it will or will not obey. He says if the rule of law is to have any meaning, but he goes on to talk about establishing this Crown Corporation, and when I read this yesterday, I thought we got to talk about this on the show. He says, uh, Ms. Smith, Premier Smith, has an answer. Um, Set up a crown corporation to buy the private power producers, some of them, he says, at any rate. It could then be instructed to produce power in defiance of regulations, much in the manner of the Scott Moe government in Saskatchewan, which has ordered its public energy utility, Sask Power, to stop collecting carbon tax on natural gas starting on January 1st, 2024. Says Andrew Coyne, nationalizing an industry just so you can order it to defy the law, socialism in the service of anarchy will strike many as a novel version of conservatism. Certainly, he writes, it is a strange way to achieve the premier's professed goal of restoring certainty to the industry. He continues, but it's no more of a stretch than claiming you have the power to decide which laws you will obey or that a province can step outside of federal law while remaining part of a united Canada. So consider Andrew Coyne a cynic on this. Had a chance to chat with Premier yesterday at this Edify Top 40 event and a shout out to to Trudy Callahan, the publisher of Edify and everybody that was involved in putting mm-hmm. that thing Looks together. Fun. Just an amazing event, packed house. Uh, I, I, I told Premier, I said I was a little surprised to see you here. I said, aren't you, aren't you, aren't you on your way to Dubai? Mm-hmm. Uh, Alberta's sending a delegation to the COP uh, summit. Obviously, people are going to be talking about climate change. There's going to be, I mean, all the huge oil nations, oil producing nations are going to be there. And there have been some rumblings about how big Alberta's delegation is going to be. So I asked her about that. I said, I've heard rumblings that like a hun- Alberta's sending 100 people. No. And a lot of people believe that this is on the taxpayer's dime. Whew. I said, I know that real talkers are going to want the straight goods. So from the premier's mouth, I said, how many people are going as part of your delegation? How many people are basically taxpayers foot in the bill for? And the answer is six. Okay. So it's it's Premier Smith, 
it's Environment Minister Rebecca Schultz and their staff, private or at least jet. members of their staff on a private jet, <laughs> eating caviar and drinking champagne on the taxi. No, but six of them. So the answer is six. And she said, obviously, they're going to have more people going with them, but those people will be going on their own dime. So you will have people working in industry. Those people should be there. And obviously, this is an opportunity for Alberta to do business and an opportunity as well for Alberta to represent itself on that international stage. But it's important for the provincial government to be there, right? The official opposition, by the way, spoke to uh, MLA uh, and uh, you know Shadow Minister David Shepard uh, last night as well. He was on the show a while ago, obviously, the, the Shadow Minister of Health, the health critic. Uh, remember, he said that the, uh, what was his line? He said something like the UCP's, uh, UCP couldn't run a lemonade stand. Yeah. He, had, he, had a, he had a nice zinger during his appearance on the show. I said, are you guys going to be a cop? He said, no. Um, you know, in opposition, obviously, the government has its own budget. Yeah. The opposition has its own budget mm-hmm. he said they just couldn't justify the cost and it wouldn't make a lot of sense for them mm-hmm. to be there so there will not be any representation from Alberta's official opposition but well, they will shame. have government representation yeah, yeah. he's because he's an intelligent eloquent speaker yeah it'd be great for him to be down there but I understand and the last thing they want to do is spend a bunch of money when you're the opposition <laughs> yeah well and, and there's been a lot of talk in Alberta right now uh, this week in particular about carbon capture as well and, yeah. and Brian Jean's been talking a lot about this and and it has it cynics this technology um it, it's you know basically we're, we're emitting a ton of carbon into the atmosphere and so we're going to suck it out one of the answers is to to bury it yeah. right to put it back in the ground mm-hmm. and and people have been talking about carbon capture sequestration and, and and all that kind of stuff i'm getting a little bit out of my depth here i'm not an expert obviously but for a long time but i've seen it written off by a lot of people mm-hmm. just saying it's it's not viable it's not cost effective it's it's too expensive and and it's unreliable but it seems to be like more and more people right now are looking at that as a viable option mm-hmm. brian gene uh, minister gene going so far earlier this week to say bring us your car i mean maybe not his exact words <laughs> but bring us your carbon alberta <laughs> alberta will take your carbon okay. right you know like uh <sighs> like wasn't it like the philippines or there were other nations that for a while like on barges would be like send us your garbage yeah we, we will deal with your garbage <laughs> yeah. and there were huge barges of garbage heading to the philippines alberta could be that send us your carbon well yeah if it's viable it sounds from all the things i read like it would be really really expensive yeah like it's like really futuristic stuff to do this but if it but if it prolongs the viability of alberta's energy industry Mm -hmm. and if it preserves you know thousands of jobs then people are going to be open to it. Well, if like if it's legit, it, it's, right? It's the big oil in, in Alberta. Right? Yeah, well, yes. and they're and they're motivated to do it. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, if if this is something that that opens the door to to fifty more years mm-hmm. and buys you that, I know people don't like the phrase, but buys you that social license as well yeah. to operate. When you can say, look at this, look at how we're managing our efficiency. Mm-hmm. You know, look at look at what we're doing with our, uh, mm-hmm. you know, look what we're doing with our with our carbon. Then who knows? But but again, you know, I'm sure that and, and this is something that we'll we'll dedicate further time to on the show. There's probably a lot of people right now, people screaming as they're listening to real talk, yelling at the at the, you know, at wherever you're listening to us, into your AirPods or the speakers or what, going, Are you kidding me? Are you kidding me? If you know what you're talking about, uh, if you're either fully in support of this or totally against it, we would love to hear from you to talk at RyanJesperson.com. That could be an informative email. Uh, there's one I'm about to read here talking about affordability. Or 
It could be something for the flamethrower, which we present thanks to our friends at the Dairy Queens of Northwest Edmonton and Sherwood Park every week, typically on a Friday. This week, it's going to be on a Thursday. Uh, Thursday will be the final episode of Real Talk this week. So if you got something you got to get off your chest, rant-wise, make sure you submit your flamethrower today to talk at ryanjesperson.com. Before we get to this email, our friends at Friesen Brothers wanted to remind you that before you know it, the holiday season is going to be here and gift buying is way easier with Friesen Brothers hand-packed gift boxes. All of the items are carefully chosen to suit all tastes, all budgets, or they can be customized to a theme, a person, or an occasion. The gift box can be a perfect gift for that person who has everything. You can find more information online at Friesen.com slash gifts. If all this talk about home retrofits has you thinking it's maybe time to get serious about that renovation project, look no further than Complete Care Restoration. Yeah, they help people recover from fire and flood. That is the main thing, the main area where they operate. But they're also experts in construction and renovation. They're the ones that built our studio. So we've seen them at work. Complete Care Restoration is comprised of a team of certified professionals. So whether it's mold and asbestos removal or a new build, whatever it is, their full service trade staff can perform all necessary tasks. You can get in touch with them today by visiting CompleteCareRestoration.ca. And we wanted to mention that while it may not seem like the exactly perfect time of year to be talking about summer landscaping projects, you want to get the conversations happening right now so that design work can happen through the winter and shovels can get in the ground in the spring. That's why you're going to want to check out Eden Landscaping today at LandscapeEdmonton.ca. They're experts in bringing your outdoor space to life, a custom landscape builder with more than 20 years of on-the-ground experience in Edmonton and area. You can find Eden Landscaping online at LandscapeEdmonton.ca. Comment in the chat here. Jespo and Johnny really need to catch up on carbon capture. Oh, we've seen There's the big numbers. Programs that's going why, on. That's why I was saying expensive. Seventh pilot, like $17 billion dollars just to get the thing up and running and yeah. then what does it cost to to keep it going so i'm just saying like it doesn't seem viable right now you know? yeah we'll see though this is this is what i want to uh want to get into and explore and that's kind of the whole point of the show i want to also point out the obvious that i'm struggling with my voice right now i'm seeing a lot yeah, of comments the in the chat. well people are saying that that jespo's staying out too late it's not but if you follow me on instagram if you follow me on twitter you know that i've hosted an event for like five straight nights including two live auctions yeah. and i'm basically just burning out the voice box there's not going to be much left um and so we're just making our way to thursday's show and then we're going to shut it down but it's it's just that time of year same Mm -hmm. with you like djing and all that kind of stuff it's like i've been lucky we had events usually i I hosted last night last week thursday friday saturday it's sunday afternoon hosted last night so it's just it's a lot and once you lose your voice if you don't rest it for like 72 hours it's hard to get it it back either stays or gets worse so people should be happy that your voice is even here today. Yeah, yeah. You know? it's, it's great, though. It's working out well at home. I've just let my wife and kids know, unfortunately. I think I, it's I'm just, very... I'm, I'm unavailable for conversation. I think thing. it's very becoming. It's very rustic. I <laughs> yeah. love it. Thank you. You know, some people smoke for years to get a voice like this. 
<laughs> we heard from Cindy, and uh, there's nothing funny about this, but Cindy wrote in, and, and this is just a real person. This is real talk. Uh, wanted to talk about affordability, and I appreciated Patrick bringing up our episode. If you missed it recently, that episode broke. Uh, this was based on uh, this new Affordability Action Council that's been established experts across the country trying to help people figure out how to make ends meet. Three out of 10 Canadians right now are not able to meet what we would describe as as a viable standard of living. Right now, 30%. Try to wrap your mind around that number. I mean, it's unbelievable, right? If you, if you think of a kid's classroom that has 25 kids in there, right, you've got like eight out of the 25 that right now are in a family situation that's really, really significantly struggling financially and otherwise, it's something that all of us need to be more concerned about. And that's why I appreciate Cindy's firsthand perspective as shared with the show. She says, I really appreciated your roundtable, that Friday Real Talk roundtable about affordability. She says, it's everybody's problem at the moment. But the story that I haven't heard yet is ours. The story of living with profound medical and disability needs amidst the affordability crisis. Cindy says, now ours is an extreme medical story. We represent the struggles and challenges facing families with neurocognitive disorders, physical and speech disabilities, and chronic medical and pharmaceutical needs. Even with Alberta's supports, she says, which I think are better than most places, we're drowning in costs that go well above and beyond the costs of typical families. She says, including things like medications, supplements, and electrolytes. She says, these aren't covered by private insurers, not covered by Blue Cross. She says, these can be $300 a month. She says, physiotherapy for a young child with a lifelong chronic disability. We're looking at a minimum of $360 a month. She says, now we require many hours of this therapy, but the family supports offered through government, Family Supports for Children with Disabilities, FSCD, she says only cover four hours a month. That's not nearly enough. She says we've got to provide formula for a G-tube fed child, like a child who's fed with a feeding tube. Says this alone, $128 a month. She says Blue Cross, which we have and we need because it covers two of the rare drugs that our kids take. Well, that costs us 120 bucks a month. She says, what about things like pull-ups and wheelchairs and ankle foot orthotics? She says, things that people don't think about. These are added costs. And then all the hours of missed work. She says, I'm a substitute teacher for appointments and sick days. Typically, I'm only available to work a couple of days a week. So, Cindy says, if you're doing the math, these extraordinary costs that our family is facing total about $800 a month. She says, and that's a very conservative estimate. There are additional needs because of disabilities that are quite frankly difficult to measure. So my husband and I made a choice when we got married to live on one income and to use the rest for savings and care. We purchased our home on one income. We still live in the same house. We've saved carefully. We spend carefully. We pay off our debts. We donate where we can. We've sought financial independence and we make responsible choices. But now we are the family with the bottomless needs and the limitless asks. Imagine, real talkers, if you will, writes Cindy to each one of you. Such a high needs family like ours, but with only one parent or with minimal English or with limited family or community or church supports or who bought a house at the top of their pay scale when borrowing was cheaper. How can these people survive? Cindy says, now perhaps stories like ours aren't shared because besides being exhausted and overwhelmed, 
Frequently dismissed and overlooked, we are humiliated to request yet more support. We are hesitant to draw attention to our needs because we don't want to embarrass our children or make them feel like they're a burden. But we simply cannot meet the needs of our family on one income and not even on two. The disability tax credit disappears into medication, therapies, wheelchairs, and the like. Funding from government is insufficient. The plethora of charitable supports are difficult to find and require time and energy to access. And the first needs that the government neglects or cuts when the going is tough are ours. Now, I spoke with my MLA last week, says Cindy. He didn't ask me a single question about our circumstances. He admitted that he hadn't even read my most recent letter, even though it wasn't that long. He only became invested in the conversation when I suggested that the timing of an Alberta pension plan was terrible in this crisis. And then he had a lot to say. Cindy says, I don't know where else to turn. So here we are. Thank you in advance for taking the time, says Cindy. I appreciate every episode that Real Talk puts out. I don't have something profound to offer there except to say that, Cindy, I'm grateful that you were in touch with the show. I'm grateful that you're showing the courage to share your story with us. You've got absolutely nothing to be embarrassed about, but I understand where you're coming from. And I thank you for giving us a first-hand understanding of how this affordability crisis is really, really acting as an additional stress for families that are already shouldering such a significant load. If you'd like to respond to Cindy or share your own story, you know where to find us. This is your show. This is real talk. We know that's why this audience is growing. It's because we're having conversations that resonate with people because they're built on sincerity. They're built on reality. And that's the whole point. Coming up on tomorrow's episode, we're going to learn a little bit more about nurse practitioners. This is one way that the provincial government is addressing the doctor shortage, the physician shortage in rural areas, in urban centers. But is it going to work out? We're going to talk to a nurse practitioner. We're going to talk to experts in the field. And we'll be taking your questions in the live chat or submit it ahead of time. Thank you for participating in Real Talk. We'll talk to you again soon. Real Talk is hosted by Ryan Jesperson, Executive Producer Josh Dunford, Technical Producer John Hicks, General Manager Katie Cook Chivers, Account Coordinator Lawrence Durlego, Human Resources Lena Shepard, Website Design Mike Johnston, VoiceOver by me, Carrie Skelton. Real Talk's editorial board is Sapria Duvetti, Ahmed Ali, Brandy Morin, Ann Castleman, Corey Hogan, Harmon Candola, Catherine O'Neill, and Chris Henderson. Member Emerita, Julie Rohr. Real Talk is recorded in Edmonton, Alberta on Treaty 6 territory, the traditional and ancestral territory of the Cree, Dene, Blackfoot, Soto, and Nakota Sioux, home to the Métis settlements and the Métis Nation of Alberta. Real Talk is a relay project. For more, check out ryanjasperson.com.